accepted because you obey. That's what religion will tell you. That you will be accepted if you obey. The gospel of Jesus Christ says you obey because you're already accepted. We do not obey our way into God's good graces. We live obedient lives because we're already in His good graces. We say, Lord, why would I want to mess around with a little stealing when I'm already prosperous in Your kingdom? Can you imagine if you could only be present with the most important person in your life from one side of a curtain? A veil is meant to obscure, to separate one thing from another, which is the exact purpose it served in the temple. As Pastor Daniel discusses today, the veil in the tabernacle separated the people from the presence of God. Eventually, that veil was torn. We can now experience the fullness of His presence because of Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message entitled, God's Tent. And for the tabernacle, you shall make the boards of acacia wood standing upright. Ten cubits shall be the length of a board, and a cubit and a half shall be the width of each board. Two tenons shall be in each board, for binding one to another. Thus you shall make for all the boards of the tabernacle. Verse 18. And you shall make the boards of the for the tabernacle 20 boards for the south side. You shall make 40 sockets of silver under the 20 boards, two sockets under each of the boards for its two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle, the north side, there shall be 20 boards and there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. For the far side of the tabernacle, westward, you shall make six boards and you shall also make two boards for the two back corners of the tabernacle. They shall be coupled together at the bottom and they shall be coupled together at the top by one ring. Thus it shall be for both of them they shall be for the two corners. Verse 25. So there shall be eight boards with their sockets of silver, 16 sockets, two sockets under each of the boards. Verse 26. And you shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on one side of the tabernacle and five for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the boards on the side of the tabernacle for the far side westward. The middle bar shall pass through the midst of the boards from end to end. You shall overlay the boards with gold, make their rings of gold as holders for the bars and overlay the bars with gold. You shall, and you shall raise up their tabernacle according to its pattern, which you were shown on the mountain. So what we have here is we have these frames form a trellis-like structure in which all four sets of curtains are draped over. Each frame was to be 15 feet long by two and a quarter feet wide. That's in verse 16. The framework 
of the tabernacle had 20 boards on the north and the south sides with six on the west side. And then the east side was to be where the entrance was. So for those of you who are builders, you can go home. You can have fun with this. What's interesting about the, the layout and the size of it is that when Solomon and David designed the temple, remember David wanted to build the temple, but God said no because he had blood on his hands because of his sin with Bathsheba and subsequently with Uriah. He wasn't allowed, so David didn't get upset about it. He simply started to design it and collect the materials for it, and his son Solomon was able to build it. They just doubled the size of this thing. It's interesting that when they went to build the temple, they made it twice as big to hold twice as many people. And so really what you have is that this is just the trellis-like structure. The boards, acacia wood overlaid with gold. Again, remember we keep saying, on the inside, on the inside, is where all the gold is. Remember, all of the furniture that was in there, it's all made of pure gold. What's interesting is by the time you get to the outside of the, of the tabernacle, instead of it all being gold, it's all bronze. Don't think that that's by chance either. Why? Because all the most beautiful things are on the inside. The closer you get to that Ark of the Covenant where God dwells, the closer you get, the more beautiful it is. And again, that's a spiritual principle for us. The closer you get to the Lord, the more beautiful, the more precious things are. The deeper things are. Now, what's interesting about that is I believe God wants to have the most profound relationship with each one of us. As I believe. I believe that God wants to, as I like to say, blow all of our minds. Totally expand our hearts, enlarge our hearts. And God wants to do that equally with each one of us. But God is a perfect gentleman, although leading this dance. And sometimes we're just hideous partners, aren't we? Like, God wants to bring us deep. It's probably a horrible church reference, but there was a movie that came out when I was growing up called Dirty Dancing. I mean, it's horrible. You gals wanted to marry Patrick Swayze because he could dance. And he was a stud. But in that movie, they're teaching this girl how to dance. Don't rent it, please. I watched it before I was a Christian. I'm sure it's worse now. But there's a scene where he's trying to teach a girl who can't dance how to dance. And what does she do? She steps on his toes. Right? That's how we are with the Lord a lot of times. He's a phenomenal dancer. He's got a phenomenal plan for our lives. But oftentimes we're just stepping on his toes. We want to lead. I believe that the deeper we go with the Lord, the more beautiful everything becomes. Life becomes more beautiful. The worst circumstances, the worst circumstances become the greatest blessing when you're walking close with the Lord because you start to see things not from our vantage point, but from his vantage point. On the outside, it looks like it doesn't mean anything. From the inside, from God's heart, you realize that everything belongs. It's all purposeful and, dare I say, even perfect. The greatest of tragedies. I mean, Pastor Levi's testimony. A young man, I mean, him and his wife are in their early 30s. They lost a five-year-old child to an asthma attack. You know, and horrific. And he's just like, look, death happened because of Satan. Satan brought, he encouraged Adam and Eve to rebel against God. And so my daughter's death is Satan's fault. And we're going to make him pay. And this couple... Their daughter died four days before Christmas of this past year. They preached Christmas services. 
out doing tours. People are getting saved all over the place. Why? Because he said, listen, God's in control. This isn't going to debilitate me. This is going to drive me to be more radical for Jesus. I want more people to meet with Jesus. I want more people to meet my daughter in heaven. And that's what happens when you get close to the Lord. He transforms a tragedy and he makes it, sure, it's still a tragedy, but he changes the colors of it. And for Pastor Levi and his wife, Jenny, and their family, they realize that even this tragedy belongs. That's what happens when you get close. That's why the gold's on the inside. It may look like bronze, but it's really gold if you see it from God's vantage point. All of this framing, all overlaid with gold. All of it, all of it. Overlaid with gold. Now notice, there is one beam that goes through the center. So if you've ever been in a classic kind of church where there's that big beam in the center, this is designed the exact same way. Now don't miss this in verse 30. Because look what it says. You shall raise up the tabernacle according to its pattern which you were shown on the mountain. We made a point that Part of this section is all about the children of Israel's obedience. That's what it's about. We're going to get a whole bunch of chapters of all these details and furniture and now the tent. We're going to find by the time we get to chapter 35 to the end of the, of the book of Exodus that they actually do everything like they were supposed to do. And so, again, I'm going to keep making the point every time it comes up that we need to be simply obedient. We're all rebellious kids, all of us, every single one of us. There's not one person in here who is not a total brat for God. We, we are. And I'm not telling you something you don't know. I'm just going to say it honestly to you. We're brats. We're rebellious. I mean, I, I have textbook rebellion. I got two kids and one on the way. And we're super excited about that. But it's total rebellion. Obadiah, don't do that. He just keeps going. Even my precious little princess Maranatha can do no wrong. I mean, she's, it's unbelievable the stuff she tries to think she's going to get away with. You know, and you know, kids, they know they're doing it wrong, so they're, they kind of, their eyes keep darting over at you. As if they're not like totally giving themselves away. I mean, it's unbelievable. But we're all like that with God, aren't we? God says, look, I want you to live this way. And we're like, don't eat a cookie before dinner. We're like, so every time we find it in the Bible, the need for obedience now listen, religion will tell you you are accepted because you obey. That's what religion will tell you. That you will be accepted if you obey. The gospel of Jesus Christ says you obey because you're already accepted. We do not obey our way into God's good graces. We live obedient lives because we're already in his good graces. We say, Lord, why would I want to mess around with a little stealing when I'm already prosperous in your kingdom? Why would I want to demean somebody when God already has told me that that person is valuable? See, we do not obey to get accepted. We obey because we're accepted. That grace-based living changes everything. And I'm sure there's a lot of us in here today. You're in a workspace system. You think God is mad at you when you mess up? I'm here to tell you, all of God's anger at you, he took out on Jesus at the cross. 
He's not mad at you. He loves you. And yes, when you do something silly, it breaks his heart because he knows you're hurting yourself and you're hurting the people around you and you're making a mess in the world. But he doesn't accept you more when you do well. He's already accepted you because he has accepted Jesus and he has accepted the righteousness of Jesus that's been applied to your life by faith. That's the gospel. And that's a huge difference for us. So for some of you, you had parents, they only loved you when you did what they asked, what you were asked to do. That's not how your father in heaven rolls. He loves you because he's loving. And we obey because we've been accepted in Christ, not to get accepted. And if you got that cart before the horse, and let's be honest, a lot of us do, we need to repent of that. God doesn't love you more or less based on your performance. He sent Jesus to die already knowing how you were going to perform. And we all fail and Jesus picks up the slack. That's the gospel. So we have to get out of a workspace system. Because the workspace system just beats us down. We feel condemned. We feel beat up. When Jesus is like, look, I died for you. And it really is finished. It's finished. So we don't obey to make God love us, we obey because God has already expressed his love to us. And we simply respond to that love by living obedient lives. We simply respond to that love by be- living obedient lives. So we have all of the structure, the trellising. We have the four curtains in verse 31. Look what it says. You shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen, it shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. You shall hang it upon the four pillars of acacia wood, overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be gold upon four sockets of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps, and you shall bring the ark of the testimony in there behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most Holy, you shall put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy. Verse 35, you shall set the table outside the veil, the lampstand across from the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south, and you shall put the table on the north side. You shall make a screen for the door of the tabernacle woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen made by a weaver. Verse 37, you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be gold and you shall cast five sockets of bronze for them. Now, the final two kind of dividers of God's tent is the veil and the screen. The screen is meant to be kind of like a front door. And the veil, which we get first with much greater detail, is meant to separate the most holy place from the holy place. Now, we know about the veil because remember in all four Gospels when Jesus died, what do we hear? That the veil was torn from the top to the bottom. Okay? This is that veil. The veil... Function. Now think about the design of the tabernacle. You have the outer courts where anyone could go, right? Then you have the holy place, which there are three pieces of furniture in there. We saw the table of showbread last week. We saw the golden lampstand last week. And we're also going to find the altar of incense. Those are in the tabernacle. And the only people who could go there were the priests. The priests were allowed in there. 
Then there's the veil. And behind the veil is what's called the most holy place, which the only thing that's in there is the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat on top of it. So there is a differentiation between the holy place where the priest could go and then the most holy place. Only the high priest could go one time a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and he went first having sacrificed for himself, atoning himself, and then after he does that to go in and make atonement for the people. So that's what that veil is. And again, the veil is beautiful. It's decorative. It's got pictures of cherubim, right? And it's meant to set up, and it's meant to be a divider. And when Jesus died, that's the veil that was torn from top to bottom. Why? Because although in the dispensation of the law, God made a differentiation between the priest and the high priest, when Jesus, the great high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, that the book of Hebrews talks about, Jesus went in and he made atonement and he said, look, it's open season to the presence of God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's why that veil was rent from top to bottom. And it's interesting, it wasn't rent from bottom to top either. It's not like the priest got in there and ripped it open. God did it from top to bottom, from heaven to earth. And that's what that veil is all about. That veil was meant to be a divider. Why? Because a holy God was only to be approached after a substitutionary atonement. Animals had to be slaughtered to atone for sin. Now listen, I know some of you hear that, you're like, that's just bonkers. I mean, who would believe such a thing that someone needed to die in order for forgiveness, for forgiveness to happen? Let me explain to you. We all actually believe it. We just don't take it to the level that God does. Because if somebody wrongs you, let's say somebody runs over your mailbox. Right? Let's say your neighbor pulls out of the driveway. Your mailbox is perfectly positioned. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? Someone runs over your mailbox. They can say, oh, listen, listen. I'm so sorry I hit your mailbox. You're like, look, I've been watching you for four years. I knew you were going to hit that mailbox. I watched the way you back out. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? I I have this story because my grandparents, their neighbor across the street, their mailbox is perfectly positioned for a bullseye. And my grandpa, they took his license away because he became legally blind. But there was a lot of close calls on that mailbox of my grandpa, you know. Let's say someone just nails your mailbox. You can say, look, I forgive you, but someone's got to pay to get that fixed. Either they pay for it or you pay for it. So reconciliation only happens after somebody reconciles the situation through sacrifice. Make sense? How many of you have ever forgiven someone who didn't say that they're sorry? Almost never, right? You're waiting. When they say they're sorry, they don't forgive. Why? Because they have to do something to atone for the slight in the relationship. Now, the only difference between us and God is God realizes that even the slightest derivation from perfection is punishable by death. Sins equal death. We think, look, sins equal, I'm going to defriend you on Facebook. I'm not going to invite you to my Christmas party. And when I see you, I'm going to pretend like I don't know who you are. Until atonement is made, until restitution is made. So we all realize this. We all have these relationships that have been severed because of things somebody's done. And we're waiting. Either we just decide, look, we're just going to forgive them. Yes, you knocked over my mailbox, hypothetically speaking. And I'm just going to eat. I'm going to eat the cost of it. It's just a mailbox. I still love you. Or you say, look, no, you got you to fix this. So we all realize that 
substitutionary atonement, the idea of needing reconciliation to happen to restore a relationship. We all live with that every day. That's very normal. The only difference is, is God says, listen, the slightest sin is punishable by death. Because that's the severity of sin. It was completely antithetical to what God created and why. And it's a total affront to his perfectness, to his perfection, to his holiness. So God says, look, you want to come all the way into my presence, into the most holy place? You have to come with a sacrificial atonement. And Jesus was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. That's why John the Baptist called him that. That's why in the book of Revelation we see Jesus as a lamb. Because Jesus, by shedding his blood for you and for me, gives us access into the most holy place. And that's why when he died, he cried, it is finished. And that veil ripped from top to bottom saying, look, no more do we need the blood of animals because now God's perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice that ends all sacrifices has come. And that's what this veil is all about. That's what it's all about. And that's why when Jesus died, it was absolutely fixed. So I close with this thought. What's keeping you from the most holy place? Where all the beauty is. Where you realize that everything belongs, that every circumstance of your life, every trial has a purpose. Everything that's going on is meaningful for God. What's keeping you from entering the most holy place? Because I'm here to tell you, God has not prohibited you from that place. God has not prohibited you at all. It says we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. So God has given us total and complete access, each one of us. But what's keeping us from going in? Oftentimes it's sin, fear. Maybe you got hurt in the past. I believe that we're here gathered around God's word for each one of us to attempt again tonight to come boldly, to push back our fears, to lay aside the sins that hold us back and to come into the most holy place where God dwells, where everything makes sense. Because you know what? The gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that Jesus' death and resurrection has fixed everything. It's fixed everything. It's all fixed right there. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know what is holding you back. But man, let's just, let's just run. Let's just run right into his arms. His arms are wide open. I mean, we tell to our kids all the time, how much does Abba love you? This much. It's a perfect symbol, right? It is the perfect symbol. Because every time we say it, that's how much God loves you, enough to send his own son to die on a cross for you and for me. That's the gospel. Let's run into the holy place today. Because Jesus gave us access by his finished work, no matter what we do. Jesus is today how the veil within the tabernacle separated the people from the area where the priests met with God. What a gift that in Jesus the veil was torn 
eliminating the separation between us and the Father so we can have a personal relationship with Him. We know that God doesn't need our money, but He uses our finances to help further His kingdom. We want to invite you to partner with us and help expand God's kingdom through Jesus is Real Radio. Your monthly or one-time gift will allow us to continue to grow our radio ministry in other parts of the world, sharing the life-changing experience of knowing that Jesus is real. Simply log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and select Partner from the main menu. Pastor Daniel covered quite a bit in today's message. Perhaps you'd like to review? You can listen to today's message again by logging on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just select today's date from the media player. Another way to get in contact with us is by email. The address is info at JesusIsRealRadio.com. By far, the best way to stay current with everything that you hear on Jesus Is Real Radio is to subscribe to the podcast. Subscribing is easy. Just follow the link at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel, you'll share about the courts of the tabernacle, the decoration and design. The Messiah will continue to be woven through everything, giving us a perfect picture of Him. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series entitled Tabernacle. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio. Don't